So we have that uh, scripture up there, Genesis 1. the wanderers. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts through your word today. Let the light of love, the light of life, the light of Jesus Christ bring revelation to our understanding, enlightenment to our hearts, and change to our character. Lord, cast out the chaos that overwhelms our lives at various moments and bring your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past Monday, uh, throughout the day, I was praying and reading and asking God to give me the word he wanted me to preach today, which is part of my regular Monday routine. That's what I do in my head throughout the day on Monday. I seek the word for the following Sunday. But by the end of the day, I had heard nothing, <laughs> not even an inkling or a small lead to explore. Then at 3.20 a.m., which time means nothing to God. I can, I can affirm that. It means nothing to him at all. At 3.20 a.m. on Tuesday morning, I awoke with the above scripture in my head, and the Lord said, I want you to express me and my purposes in a fuller way from these verses to my people so that they might understand that from the beginning, from the beginning and until the end of time itself, my heart is for them. In its original writing, as well as in the earliest copies of the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch, which is the original Bible, by the way, first given to Moses by God, which then became the foundation that all the rest of the scriptures would be built upon and added to in order to bring us all to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and provide all that we need to live godly lives that are pleasing to God himself, lives that can and do become expressions of worship to him just because he's worthy. <clears throat> in these early writings, there is no chapter and verse as we understand it in the English language. Sometimes, because each individual letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a meaning all its own, vowels in some words can be interchanged or even left completely out in order to express a certain value or connotation of the word being expressed. So take away the English language sentence structure and punctuation, and you will, as most theologians do, end up with the first statement of the, in the Bible, by God to Moses and through Moses to all humanity, and it says this, 
in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, period. This statement is packed with mystery and revelation. It is all at once both the starting point of all that allows us as humanity to exist, while at the same time it gives us the briefest glimpse through the window of eternity itself. What it is not saying is that at the start of creation, the first thing created was God himself, and he made everything that followed. It's not saying that. But rather that before there was space or time or gravity or light and speed and expansion and the forward motion of those things that carry all of that created matter, I am the self-sufficient one is already in existence within himself. So wrap your noodle around that. I dare you. (laughs) His own being was, up until the moment of creation, everything that there was or had ever been since before eternity passed. He existed in such perfect harmony and relationship within his own triune being in what theologians call the divine dance, that had you seen him as he was and lived, you would not have been able to distinguish between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune nature of the one God is the revelation expressed through the act of creation. The intimacy and love of this relational connectedness was so meaningful to Jesus that as he was preparing to endure the cross and was expressing his great high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, he referred to that state of fellowship with the Father as glory. John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then in this magnificent expression of the divine purpose of God in the redemptive act of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus turns his attention away from what was in eternity past to the promise of eternity to come. And listen to what he reveals to us. In John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He's referring to us. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. See, that's how it comes down to us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Wow. Wow. So God, Jesus, invites us into something otherworldly, something glorious. He invites us into the mystery of the Trinity. Yes, the Trinity is a mystery. And because it is a mystery, there is absolutely no way to fully and adequately explain the dynamics of the triune God because it is beyond the scope of our mind's ability to understand this realm of reality. How do you comprehend a tripod God who is so integrated within himself that he only expresses himself in terms of oneness? and insist that we maintain a monotheistic theology. Deuteronomy 6 says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all, the, all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. Back in the late 90s, I don't know if it was the first trip, it might have been the second trip into the Philippines, and uh, we got caught in a series of typhoons. At that time, we got a layover in San Francisco. They wouldn't even fly over the Pacific. They fly in the next day to Manila. We get there, and the typhoon we were trying to avoid in San Francisco caught up with us, and we got stuck again in Manila. And so they gave us one hotel room in Manila because we had to take a, a domestic flight down to the lower islands. And um, so we were in this one, one room in Manila, and there were two beds in the room, and I think seven or eight people, so we divvied it up, and I took the slot on the floor between the two beds and laid out and put on my headphones and some worship music and just nodded off, and at some point um, became aware that I was in a vision. And in the vision... I was standing at the back of a large church at the center aisle and looking up, and I knew in the vision that I was there to speak that day. And a woman came down the aisle, and as she's coming towards me, I realized it was the pastor of that church's wife. And as she approached me, she said, you better be ready, and walked on. 
And when she said that, I looked up to the front and I said, come, Holy Spirit. And this wave, it's like, do you ever see a picture of the atomic bomb test? And there's this almost invisible wave that comes before anything else. I'm not sure, shock wave or something. Yeah, that sucker came right down that aisle and hit me dead on. And when it did, I was standing there in the flesh. It separated my soul out from my body. So I'm now standing in this vision looking at myself. I was identical to me. It was really amazing. (laughs) But here's my flesh and here's my soul. And I looked up towards the front and I said, wow, this is really bizarre. And another wave came down and hit me head on again and separated my spirit out. And I am standing there, body, soul, and spirit as one. And I knew this trip was going to be awesome. (laughs) And it was. I don't know how to explain that, but I didn't feel disconnected at all. It's probably the closest my mind could ever get to ever understanding the Trinity. So the question that I'm sure is forming in your mind right now must be, if the state of oneness in the Godhead is glorious and is the desired state of being he has for his followers, and God is insistent that our theological baseline is monotheistic, then why the Trinity? Secondly, if God says he is one, where do we get the Trinity anyways? So let's look at the second question first because we find it embedded in the time frame revealed in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God. God, in the Strong's Concordance, it's number h 430 is Elohim. It is the supreme God. Here we see the Father expressing his full creative nature, but more than that, he is also expressing the fullness of his being. Because the name Elohim in this verse is specifically used in a plural sense, although it's a singular name. It is expressed in a plural sense in the Hebrew. In other words, the Father, revealed as the one singular God, is so anxious to reveal the Son in the Spirit that he expresses his oneness in a plural form. You catching this? Nah. (laughs) Good. We're tracking right. (laughs) Now watch this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here in this moment before there were any moments. As God, Elohim, the Father is about to express his creative will, the Holy Spirit is already poised to do that will. 
the unity of their relationship is so integrated that before the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit is already active. Okay, so I can see the Father and the Spirit in these verses, you might say, but where is the Son? The answer to that question is just stunning in the immediacy of its impact as well as in the subtlety of its revelation. Watch this. And God said, the Father Elohim uttered, as far as we know, his first verbalized word. And if you were a proud dad of an awesome son, what is the first thing you would want to talk about? Your son, right? Right? Come on, dads. Right? Gee whiz, you're slow today. Let there be light. John 1, 1, 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light. <laughs> she got it. She got it. Ah, ah, ah. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John, the beloved apostle, in his gospel account, which is the most intimate of all the gospel accounts, when introducing for the first time the Messiah, the incarnate, that is, God in the flesh, beloved Son of the Father, God Elohim, does not reflect back to a manger scene in Bethlehem or the angelic visitation to a young girl in Nazareth who finds herself overwhelmed and impregnated by the power of the living God, by his Holy Spirit. No. John goes back to the original introduction by the Father. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word. Yes, God spoke the Word, let there be light. And the Son manifests his presence as the light of the world, as the light of life, and all things were made through him and by him because he always does what he hears the Father speak and sees the Father doing. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, of grace and truth, bringing us right back to the creation. So the triune God expands the oneness and rhythm of the divine dance in order to more fully show his glory and express his love toward us by inviting humanity to come in and join him in the dance through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? So that answers the second question. We get the Trinity by the revelation of the person of God as it is expressed through the Holy Scriptures and through the Scriptures, we clearly see the Godhead expressed as the one true and living God, while at the same time we can clearly see each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit clearly and uniquely active.
Now the first question, why the Trinity? Let's start with the Son. You're all familiar with this verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. The first thing he gave was his only Son. Let there be light. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, God is so awesome that at the very moment that he began the very act of creation with his very first spoken word, not only did he introduce his son, he also put his redemptive plan for mankind into motion. He immediately began to redeem us by introducing Jesus Christ, the light of men. Ephesians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You getting this? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, is God's full expression of his plan for the salvation of mankind. No Trinity, no salvation. Do you know him? This Jesus, God's salvation? But there is more. Paul continues on in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Hang on to that thought. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you see the interconnectedness of all of that and how it relates to us? The work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is to enrich us with all the fullness of Christ, our inheritance, and to keep us, guide us, empower us, and change us from the inside out until we look enough like Jesus that we can stand before the Father in love. 
Have you experienced the Holy Spirit in your life? Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Notice that it is not merely Father, but Abba, Father. And I know that if you have ever heard a teaching on Abba, the emphasis is always on it being a term of endearment, like Papa Daddy. And that is true. But that is not all of why Abba is used here. The root of the word Abba is found in Strong's number H1. Okay? Now, just so you understand, the H stands for Hebrew. When you hear these references, it's a Hebrew concordance, the first Hebrew one. The one is first. Abba originates from the word or the letter, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Ab. Ab which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the beginning of utterance. The beginning of utterance. Abba, Father. In other words, Father is the beginning of all Hebrew communication. Begins with Father. And the desire of the father is to draw the hearts of his children into the intimacy of relationship that he has had with the son since the beginning of this powerful work of relational restoration becomes the intentional focus of the father as we draw closer to the end of the age. Malachi 4.5 prophesies this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The father heart of God has always had you in view and always will from beginning to end and especially at this time in his plan, the anointing for healing through the ministry of the father heart of God is very, very powerful. So let me sum this up from Paul's statement to the Roman church, and then we'll pray and invite you up for ministry. Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing. Who waits? The, cre the creation, the beginning, is waiting for the end. From beginning to end, he has had us in mind. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
Creation itself is waiting for us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, what would we say to you that could express any of this back to you? But this is your plan, O oh God. It is above us. It is more than we can comprehend, and yet we find our hearts long for the reality of what your word expresses. The longing that you had for us before you even created anything is now enlivened in us. And we desire, O oh God, to embrace you and to be embraced by you in this time. I pray, Father, that you would begin to express the healing of the Father heart of God, the salvation of Jesus Christ, and the power of your Holy Spirit to restore, to change, and to keep us in all of, all of your ways, O oh God. So we say, come, Holy Spirit, begin to speak to our hearts today. I'm going to ask uh, leadership or those trained in the School of Kingdom Ministry Come up here, be ready to minister. Um, I'm going to invite you to come this morning. And if any part of this word has impacted you, whether it be salvation from the Son, whether it be healing from the Father heart of God, whether it be uh, some form of salvation. Listen, he didn't just save us from our sins. He continues to save us and save us and save us, mostly from ourselves. I just want to invite you to come up and receive ministry this morning and know that before this planet even existed that you would walk on, he already had you in sight. He's waiting. He's waiting. If you have to go, be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. And happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Enjoy uh, all that this day holds for you. You are dismissed. Or come up for prayer.